The Washington Huskies are coming to Stanford Stadium this Saturday night. And I actually feel better about this game from Stanford's standpoint than perhaps I probably should. Why is that? Let's talk about it as we do a deep dive into another edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Thank you so much for being here on Friday, October the 4th, 2019, as we're getting you set for Saturday night football on the farm. The Stanford Cardinal 2-3, and three, fresh off of a, of a dramatic win over Oregon State, meeting the 4-1 and one Washington Huskies. I am indeed Troy Clarity, the host of this show, but I can't do this alone. Looking forward to bringing you our special guest uh, for this episode of the TreeCast, uh, Stanford defensive lineman Thomas Booker. They call him the president on the team. Really good young man. Really enjoy catching up with him. And I think you're really going to uh, like what you hear uh, from Thomas Booker. He'll join us a bit later on in the show. You'll hear from David Shaw, of course. You'll hear from uh, Curtis Robinson and uh, Foster Sorrell as well, as we all start to preview uh, what we could possibly see when the Stanford Cardinal meet the Washington Huskies at Stanford Stadium. Who am I? Yes, I'm Troy Clarity. Hi, I host this show. Fourth year of TreeCasts, 27th year of following Stanford football overall. And uh, having fun as, as as always. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C L A R D Y. At Troy Clarity is the way to go on Twitter. You got thoughts on Stanford football or on the show? Uh, hashtag TreeCast also on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. That's the best way to guarantee that I see those. And uh, subscribe, rate, and review the shows on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Google Play and pretty much everywhere else you get your favorite podcasts from this should be an interesting game and i i i've i i have a feeling about stanford versus washington that quite honestly i did not have when the oregon ducks came uh to stanford stadium a couple of weeks ago and stanford played that game much closer than a lot of people myself included thought that game would pop would probably be Unfortunately, the offense didn't show up, but still, Oregon had to really struggle and dig deep and get a 21-6 win over Stanford a couple weeks ago. I did not have that great of a feeling about that game heading into that week. I have a slightly better feeling about this game coming up against Washington. We will dive deeper into that as we go along, but our first order of business as usual is to give you three things you need to know about Stanford football right now. That, of course, means we begin with number one. Well, as I walked up to Stanford football practice on Wednesday evening, uh, one of the very first things I noticed was the quarterback group, and everyone was in pads and dressed as usual, for as you might expect, for a football practice, except for one guy, K.J. Costello. Has not played uh, since the Oregon game, uh, out with an injury to his right throwing hand. David Shaw has, has never specified exactly what the injury is, but uh, we can all pretty much guess, I believe. So that was my first clue with K.J. Costello not being dressed along with the rest of the quarterbacks. Uh, that was my first clue. And then uh, a few minutes later, after practice was over and the media was allowed uh, to actually go onto the practice field and talk to coaches and players, David Shaw did make the official announcement 
that uh, K.J. Costello will not play against the Washington Huskies uh, this week as he tries to uh, continue to get better uh, with that injury to his hand. So, with that, that means Davis Mills makes his third start of the season. So I asked David Shaw, what's on Mills' plate against the Huskies this week? It's just about continuing his, his, his progress. Um, he's made great progress since USC, and he's got a lot more progress to make. Um, you know, we're not trying to, we don't want to try to hang the whole game on his shoulders. Um, we, we've got to run the ball with efficiency. We've got to be physical up front. We've got to pass protect. Our guys got to get open against some really good defensive backs. Um, and we've got to make plays for him. And um, we're just expecting him to, to do his role. And, you know, thankfully last week we showed that he's able to get out of the pocket and make some plays with his legs and scramble for a couple of first downs, which was awesome. Um, and, you know, just deal the cards, get the go, get the ball out of his hands to the guys that, that need it. That's David Shaw, and, yep, uh, Mills is going to need to be the catalyst and to continue to, to show progress in areas that he showed progress in against Oregon State. We talked about this last week, uh, uh, heading, into, heading into last week's game. Mills hadn't really made big throws in big situations. He did last week. That will need to continue to trend upwards against a pretty stout Husky defense. We'll talk more about them later on in the show. Speaking of defense, let's head to number two. Inside linebacker has been an intriguing uh, position unit to watch this year for Stanford. This was, at one point at the beginning of the year, perhaps one of the deepest uh, lineups, or one of the deepest position units for Stanford this year. But then that attrition whittled away to almost just two guys for the most part. Now, Ryan Beecher is back on the depth chart. That's good news, but by all indications, it looks like this week is still going to be the Curtis Robinson and Andrew Pritz show at inside linebacker. Mixed results for both guys throughout the season as, as they continue to learn. They're both converting from, from other positions. Pritz came in to the Cardinals as a safety. Uh, Curtis Robinson converted this past offseason uh, from outside linebacker. So it's those two guys still running the show at inside linebacker, and they're going to get the overwhelming majority of snaps, I'd imagine, this week again against Washington. Curtis was asked earlier this week what it's like shouldering the load at the inside linebacker spot. We don't really look at it as having to shoulder the load. Um, we just see it as an opportunity to make an impact on the game. And um, I think that me and, his, me and Andrew's cohesion has grown a lot throughout the season, obviously. From spring, that was our first time getting to work together, and we were still rotating more, working with Ricky and Jacob and Beecher throughout the, the course of spring. So it, we didn't get to work solely with each other, but throughout the season, as we have been it kind of confined with each other, our cohesion has grown a lot, and just learning to play with each other has helped both of our games in, in different aspects. And I think that it's continuing to show and it's continuing to help us play. That's Curtis Robinson. It was interesting to note that he later on um, went on to say and went on to admit that, that, yeah, it does have a bit of a factor from a fatigue standpoint later on in games, uh, as opposed to in the early part of the season when they were able to rotate guys in and out. And let's face it, that's a big part of the reason why they had a rotation in the first place, so guys could stay, could stay fresher as games went along. Might be part of the explanation is to some things we saw in the second half for the Stanford Cardinal defensively in the second half against Oregon State last week. But still, Robinson and Pritz, it's going to be those two in the middle once again for the Cardinal against the Huskies. All right, two things are down, and that means we are on to thing number three. Hey! 
can you guess who the Pac-12's leading rusher is? No. No, not him. Nope, not him either. It's Cameron Scarlett. That's right. Cameron Scarlett, Stanford running back, heading into this week, is the leading rusher in the Pac-12. 413 yards on the ground for Cameron Scarlett. Now, Washington's uh, Salvan Ahmed is second with uh, 399 yards on the ground in the conference. 89 of those yards coming on a touchdown run against USC last week. But uh, Scarlett, who still hasn't cracked 100 yards in a game, he's come pretty darn close just about every week. But Scarlett, as of right now, the leading rusher in the Pac-12. That surprised me, quite honestly. Hopefully that continues to trend this week as well. Those are three things. Well, in tree casts that immediately follow Stanford football games, one of the features that we do is stock up, stock down. And uh, my stock up uh, for the Oregon State performance was uh, Michael Wilson, largely, and with also an honorable mention going to the special teams. But but my stock down was the Stanford defensive line, quite honestly. I, I thought they got pushed around just a little bit by the Oregon State uh, offensive line and on, on running plays in the first half, and then they, they kind of disappeared a little bit uh, in the second half. However, in the pass rush category, they really came to play the defensive line did in the first half against Oregon State. They looked pretty good. And, and I still think that, that this is probably one of the best position units that Stanford has on the entire squad. So many different uh, players and so many different impact players and guys who can contribute. Uh, Jovan Swan and Michael Williams, I think those two have had uh, terrific seasons uh, so far. And Thomas Booker has played very well uh, throughout the year as well. A great defensive line is critical to everything else, you know, just like the offense. Defense, it all starts up front as well. Curtis Robinson knows this, one of the inside linebackers for the Cardinal. I asked Curtis earlier this week how critical the Stanford defensive line is to what he needs to do on a game-to-game basis. Extremely, and I think that it's shown. They've been playing amazing in these last couple games, and it, it makes my job really easy when they can create movement up front and I don't get second-level blocks. And I haven't been taking on many second-level blocks in these games. So, like, shout-out to them because they've been making me and Andrew's job very easy. And I, don't, I think that's a group that doesn't necessarily get a lot of credit just because it's not the most flashy plays that you see. And a lot of their big plays come from taking on three blockers at once or, you know, swimming in the center, getting plays in the backfield. And so I think that their play has definitely springboarded me and Andrew's play throughout the season. Yeah, for the most part, the Stanford defensive line, except for the second half I fought against Oregon State, uh, has done the job and and they've done very well. And they have held things up uh, quite nicely for Stanford defensively. One of those guys getting it done is Thomas Booker. Flashed as a freshman last year and has been pretty spectacular at times as a sophomore. And oh, by the way, he seems like a pretty cool dude overall. After Wednesday's practice, I caught up with the sophomore from Maryland, Thomas Booker. 
All right, Thomas, uh, let's put the wraps on. Last week, a bit of a roller coaster, maybe in some senses a microcosm of the season for the defense as a whole. Great moments, some moments where you guys struggled. How, how do you kind of grade and assess how things went defensively overall last week in Corvallis? I think uh, you're right. We showed flashes of really, really kind of brilliant play, uh, but consistency is the name of the game for us. I think throughout three quarters, it was we had the clamps on. Uh, I think they'd only scored maybe seven points uh, going into the fourth, and I think that, again, just consistency in the fourth quarter and playing just as hard and as aggressive and without fear as we do in the first three and the last is a big key for us uh, but as you can see like when we're playing our best defense uh, and our best ball people shouldn't be able to score against us yeah and, and the Beavers didn't in the first half you would have handed in that with with two sacks along the way uh, take me through those two sacks as you remember them so the first one uh, I think it was a it was a third down and kind of long um, I was at the I was at a zero tech um, and I slapped rip to the right, uh, got pretty good penetration. Quarterback had to step up from the pocket because of great pressure uh, from the Olbs the, on the outside and kind of just landed right on top of him. Uh, it was about like three guys in that pile. I wasn't sure when I actually got credit for it, uh, but I was happy to figure out that I did. Um, and then the second one, uh, I think was maybe like three or four plays later, um, got out, I was in a three tech, made an inside move, center didn't come back fast enough, and I literally just had a straight line. Uh, quarterback did not expect to, did not expect to see me there, uh, so just ran straight through and secured it. Uh, Casey was around too. Again, glad I got the credit for it. <laughs> but it's always good to have a bunch of guys in the backfield. Um, it's a good problem to have. We don't know who to credit the sack to. Yeah, is is I mean, what's better? Is it seeing the quarterback, knowing that he doesn't see you, and knowing that you got a free shot at him, or seeing him and he sees you and he knows that there's nothing he can do? Is, is there a better situation, one of the two? That's that's a tough question to answer. Uh, honestly, I'd probably go with him not seeing me because uh, I feel like when he sees you he can kind of get ready for it when he doesn't see you, you got an opportunity for like a sack fumble or creating some huge momentum play but I mean those are two situations that you want to be a part of so I can't really give you a, a concrete answer on which one's better I'd prefer to have both <laughs> defensive line I thought was a strength for the squad coming into the year yourself uh, Jovan Swan Michael Williams those guys and yourself have also had, Wade, had, had yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and Wade Perry and Tomas Schaffer yeah. all those guys have I think <laughs> flashed and shown, shown some great things what do each of those guys along with yourself individually bring to the table um, I'll go down the line so I'll start with uh, Javon. Javon is an explosive, quick athlete, and he's been in the program for a while. You know, and you can tell with his film study, you can tell with the way he plays, that he kind of knows what's going on before the snap, and he can jump things and have special opportunities that other players might not have because they haven't looked at film, they haven't been in uh, doing extra work, and again, his athleticism just helps him. I think, like, as the games go on and on, he just gets more physical and more aggressive. Um, I think for Mike Williams, stout, stout. That's the, that's the word I use to describe him. Stout, um, run stopper, can get after it in the past too. Again, like Javon, been in the program for a while, so he knows his stuff. You know, those are two veteran presences that honestly I rely on for a lot of things, just kind of bounce some ideas off of them and what should I be doing. Um, Tomas Schaffer, long, uh, long and athletic, 6'7, 280 some pounds, really learned to use his length. Um, I'm impressed with him in terms of his progress from last year. And again, like if he gets his hands on you and he gets extended, I don't think there's any old lineman that should be able to block him. You don't really see guys that are built like that uh, that can use their length like that. Uh, Dalen Wade Perry, explosive and shoot, like again, when he flashes, like.
there's really nothing you can do with him. <laughs> I've noticed it. Um, he is, you can't move him because he's, he's got a mass on him and he's quick. You know, they call it like the dancing bear. Uh, that's, what, that's what I've ascribed to him. He's really, really impressive to see a guy of that kind of weight moving like the way he does. Um, for me personally, like aggressiveness and hustle, you know, for me, I'm a guy that whenever the ball's getting passed out, I don't stop. Um, I'm running after everything all the time. And then in terms of just offensive linemen, like at the end of the day, you can do all the stunning and all the kind of different finesse stuff that you want, but at the end of the day, if you're not knocking somebody back and putting your hands in their chest and blowing them back, like, what are, what are you doing? Uh, so I've been trying to focus on that this year in terms of just being more aggressive. And then for me also, like, knowledge of the game um, and just knowing what to expect pre-snap. Um, because if you can get a kind of, like, idea of what's going on and you're not always playing stuff honest and you kind of have an idea of a tendency or something like that, it's not cheating. It's just using the resources available to you. So I've been trying to get into the film study this year, uh, check tendencies more often. That's been helping me a lot. Um, specifically at Oregon, there were some plays that I felt like I jumped because uh, I knew what was going on before the snap. Yeah. It's interesting because people look at defensive line and they can say that that uh, <laughs> I'd second that. Uh, people can say that you know defensive line is one of the simpler positions to play. It's either get the quarterback or get to the ball carrier. But as we all know, nothing in football is truly simple. What are some of the things that you are tasked with on a play-to-play basis? Some of the things that that might be your responsibility and some things that might that you might have to keep an eye on and be uh, be uh, be cognizant of uh, from snap to snap. Uh, honestly, there's a lot uh, when you look at it. There's the difference between run and pass. You have different responsibilities depending on what you get. Um, on run, you might have the B-gap pass. You might have B-gap to contain. Uh, there might be certain times you might want to do an inside move and a pass rush because of other people coming around you. Uh, and then there's just also, like on, on run defense, you're not going to get one specific block. You get a base block coming straight at you. Somebody could pull. Um, a myriad of things could happen that you have to react to. So, again, like I think a lot of the, proce- the process of getting good at D-line is not just being athletic, but understanding like there's all this stuff that could be going through your head. And with reps, it gets just easier to kind of read things and be quick and reactive um, instead of kind of being hesitant. Yeah, it, one of the obvious subplots for this team for the team this year has been youth. We've seen a lot of true freshmen getting their first action. A lot of kids getting getting pushed into the deep end of the pool, and, yeah. and many of them are swimming. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been in that position before. You got plenty of uh, playing time as a freshman last year. How much have you grown? How much did your experiences for your freshman year prepare you for this year? And in what sort of ways are you, are you different from last year? Um, honestly, getting playing time as a freshman is difficult at first. Because again, like you said, you're thrown to the deep end of the pool. Uh, but it's kind of one of those trial by fire moments uh, where you come out a better person at the end of it. Uh, because again, at first I felt like when I was a freshman, Kind of eyes were wide open. Uh, it's college football, big lights, big time, all that sort of stuff. And then as you kind of get back down to it, you're like, this is just football. I've been playing this my entire life. Um, so I think the quicker you realize that as a young player, the quicker you just kind of progress and improve. Um, and for me, year over year, I've seen it and felt it just with my confidence going into every single practice um, and every single game. I feel like there were uh, some games last year where obviously I was confident, but just because I hadn't been out there as much, there were kind of more questions about it. And this year, like again, with all the work that I put in the off season and just a year of strength and conditioning and going against these guys in practice every day, your confidence just goes up. Um, and as a defensive lineman, as a football player, 
confidence at the end of the day is kind of really everything. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think that you can do it, then you're going to. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the strength and conditioning because, you know, obviously strength is such a huge part of this game, no matter the position. Yes, how much stronger, how much different are you physically from last year to this? Um, so <laughs> it's interesting. My weight kind of fluctuates uh, depending on depending on when you catch me. Uh, Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it fluctuates. But in terms of my overall strength, um, I think that the strength and conditioning program here um, has improved all of my numbers a lot. Um, body fat, body composition, bench, squat, all that sort of stuff has gone up. Um, and I think it shows in the field just in terms of explosion and also dysfunctional strength because there's a lot of strength in the weight room that won't translate uh, because you don't really know how to use it. Um, and I think that's a lot of it, getting to know how to use leverage. And like, honestly, you're not going to get better by football only by going in the weight room, but by playing football. So strength and conditioning is a part of it, but as you kind of mix it and complement it with great coaching uh, from Coach Reynolds, you uh, get a good product. What's on your plate uh, this fall quarter uh, academically? How's that, how's that looking for you so far? So I'm trying to uh, major in economics with a minor in communications. Okay. So right now I'm taking Econ 50, uh, a microeconomics class. I'm taking a uh, literature that changed the world class. And then I'm also taking a racial, ethnic, politics in the United States class uh, this fall quarter. Um, just for some of our gen ed requirements, the last two classes, and then uh, Econ 50 for the major. So I'm excited for the course load. Uh, it's a lot of reading and a lot of P-sets, but uh, hey, that's what I came here for. Exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, you have a couple of old high school teammates on this squad, Devery Hamilton and uh, Doria Maddox. You three represent Gilman High School back in Maryland. You know, what, 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 what's that like? Did you, did you guys, you know, did you guys know of each other back in those days? And, and what's it been like having them on the, on the same team again here this time around? So I was a sophomore when they were seniors. Uh, so I did know them really, really well. Um, actually, I rode the bus back home with Devery uh, damn near every day uh, back in high school when he was there. So I knew those guys really, really well. So when I heard as a sophomore they were both going to Stanford and that was the place that I was trying to go to, I was like, you know what, maybe maybe I'll see you there in two years. Um, and it was pretty cool because my junior year I did a sophomore uh, summer college program at Stanford. Uh, so... <laughs> These guys probably thought they had gotten rid of me in high school, but I showed up in the Econ 1 class, and they're like, who's this big dude sitting in the front? Um, and it was cool to see them again, and it's even cooler to be playing with them again. You know, it kind of feels like a rerun of high school. I went against Devery and pass rush drills all the time in high school, and uh, now that I get to do the same thing in college, it's, it's pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> to think that three guys from the same high school in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, would be playing football at Stanford is, is kind of crazy, and I'm just glad that I can kind of play out that dream. All right, let's wrap this up by talking about the task ahead. The Washington Huskies coming to town. Mm -hmm. uh, Washington, very good team, very explosive offensively. Jacob Eason seems to be settling in his quarterback, and Ahmed, one of the more explosive running backs you're going to find, uh, maybe not just in Pac-12, but, but all throughout college football. Sure. What are some things when you pop in the tape and look at the Huskies, <laughs> what sort of things pop out at you? They have a really, really long and athletic offensive line. Um, you got a bunch of 6'7", 6'8", dudes who don't play high. Uh, they play low. They're aggressive. Uh, coming off the ball. So I think the focus for us this week has been just coming off the ball and being aggressive and striking. Um, that's something that Coach Reynolds has been drilling into us. Uh, like you said, uh, the running backs and the skill players are explosive. So for us, like setting the tone physically and just letting people know how we're going to play from the beginning of the game, opening snap is going to be the key for us, I think. Yeah, battle in the trench is always so critical when it comes to Stanford football. Thomas Booker from Maryland joining us here on the TreeCast. Thomas, thanks a bunch. Uh, shout out to my father, Michael Williams. Thank you. <laughs>
along with his friends oh, as well. You, you just you just talked about Mike a few minutes ago. I did, I did, I did, I did. You know, he, he likes to clown me, but that's my guy. <laughs> and he's a darn good player, too. And so are you. Thomas, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Best of luck against the Huskies in the rest of the year. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good, good stuff from Thomas Booker. Really enjoyed that chat and with a little help from his uh, friend Michael Williams there uh, at the very end. You can kind of tell right there the camaraderie that those guys uh, – uh, on the defensive line, have for each other. You kind of have to just by the just by the very nature of that position. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy up front. Not easy in the trenches. That is, that is, and I and I use this word in a football term uh, as close to combat as you can get. And uh, the camaraderie with those guys and uh, the production that uh, Stanford has gotten, even not necessarily on the stat sheet per se. Uh, they played extremely well against Oregon. A couple of weeks ago, really held their own against the Ducks offensive line. And they've they performed well overall uh, this year. So uh, Thomas Booker and the defensive line, a lot will be asked of them to help hold down the Washington Huskies. Speaking of the Huskies, they are 4-1 on the year. Let's talk a bit about UW. They're coming off a home win over USC, a 28-14 final that, that, I, would, that I would describe as is professionally efficient. Outside of the 89-yard touchdown run by Salvan Ahmed, you know, not really any huge flash plays that really made you go, whoa, look at these dudes. So a professionally efficient win at home against USC last week. Their only road trip to this point so far has been to BYU. And they pounded the Cougars by 26 points in, in a game that really wasn't that close. Now, BYU beat USC. USC beat Stanford. So I don't necessarily knows what, knows what that means, but I just, just found that interesting. I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, David Shaw, of course, has thoughts on the Washington Huskies. I asked him for his initial thoughts on the Huskies uh, at uh, David's uh, press conference on Tuesday. And... Also, I had a follow-up question for Coach Shaw on the lessons learned from last year and that frustrating result up in Seattle. So here's David Shaw and his complete thoughts, at least to us in the media anyway, on the Washington Huskies last year and this year. Very talented, very physical. Uh, defensively, they don't have the same mass inside that they've had over the years, but they've got quickness and athleticism and explosiveness up front. Um, they get a lot of penetration. They get a lot of hits on the quarterback with a three or four man rush. Um, it's not about pressure with those guys. It's about how active they are uh, up front and secondary wise. Um, they have speed, um, athleticism. They change up their coverages. You know, they go in back and forth between playing too high, single high, zone blitz, three deep, man to man. Um, so they have a really good mix of what they can do. They can you know, go to their Washington State game plan and drop eight guys and make it tough to throw the ball. They can load the box up and play tight man coverage and, and, and dare you to throw the ball uh, against some really good defensive backs. Um, offensively, they've always had versatility. Um, they've always had versatility in their running game, their passing game, their movement. Um, they've got a very talented quarterback um, that um, many of us truly believe has a chance to be special. Um, still, still in the beginnings of his career, um, but the kid can make some big-time throws, and he's a really good athlete. So um, it's about dealing with their versatility on the offensive side. They're big up front. They can run the ball. Um, they do a variety of things with their receivers uh, to help them get open. 
Um, and special teams, they've always been one of the most sound special teams groups um, in our conference. So um, for us, uh, it's about us playing at the level that we believe we can play at and sustaining that over a long period of time, which has been our challenge all year. In spurts, we've been outstanding. In spurts, we haven't. So um, a challenge like this, we can't afford to play our second best football. Yeah, last year, arguably the most frustrating of the losses, uh, the result in Seattle. Uh, how does that potentially set the stage for, for this meeting, for this program? Well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a microcosm of what we're, where we are right now. Um, we, the, the two games, I don't know what you say is worse, Washington and, and Utah last year were basically the same game. Um, we did not play well initially. We did not handle their pressure initially. We did not handle their execution initially. And then we woke up and got stops on defense and points on offense. And um, to, to play against really good teams like that, really physical teams like that, you have to play that way the whole time. Um, you have to make the plays that are there for you to make. You can't make critical mistakes. Um, you have to play up to, at the very least, match their intensity and their physicality. Um, and you can't start slow. You start slow against Washington, you'll be down 21 nothing. They've proven that repeatedly um, the last few years. You start fast against them, now at least you're in a battle. And it's a one-score game either way, now you're, now you're battling. Um, but you can't come out um, without um, being intense and uh, intentional and everything that you do. Yeah, and in case you forgot what happened last year up in Seattle between these two teams, or in case you wanted to forget, Washington went out pretty quickly to a 21-0 lead uh, early in the second quarter. And Stanford had to fight back from there. Actually had a chance to potentially win the game down by four, but their last-minute drive was was sabotaged by some substitution fiascos that, that really – conspired against the Stanford Cardinal, helped uh, run down the clock as Stanford tried to substitute to get the right guys. Well, you can't substitute now in a no-huddle situation unless the defense had a chance to also bring on its guys. Meanwhile, the clock's running the whole time. Stanford still somehow had a chance to win the game, but they could not. The last-ditch pass to Kobe Parkinson uh, was not complete, and Washington walked away with a 27-23 win. That was frustrating. I, I did not like that result at all, and I was not very happy walking out of Husky Stadium last year. But David Shaw is certainly right. Cardinal cannot afford to be down early in that game like they were last year when it was 21-0, almost in the blink of an eye. Washington is a team that can certainly do that, and they have performed very well in the first quarter so far this year. They've outscored their opponents in the first quarter this season. 77 to 3. That's a good way to get yourself in good positions to win ball games. Now, their defensive numbers won't necessarily wow you when you look at their rankings in the Pac-12. They're they're good to middling. They're they're not going to really pop off the chart with the defensive numbers that 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 immediately show up on the stat sheets. But they forced nine turnovers, which is, which is pretty good in five games' worth of work. More important, Washington has scored six touchdowns off of those turnovers, plus a field goal. So scoring touchdowns off of turnovers at a two-out-of-three clip, that's pretty good. That's very good, actually. And even more impressive than that, Washington has five turnovers itself, but defensively, the Huskies have just allowed seven points 
off those five turnovers. Shout out to my man Tony Castricone, the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Washington Huskies, for, for those numbers. So keep those things in mind. Washington, pretty good at forcing turnovers, or at least good enough anyway, but they are lethal when Washington's offense tur- coughs it up and turns it over. They have really put up a stone wall in a lot of ways, and uh, prevented opponents from scoring and feasting off of Washington mistakes. That's pretty key. That's pretty important. Names to know, of course, quarterback Jacob Eason, uh, the transfer from Georgia who came to Washington this year and seems to be settling into things a little bit. Not a wow guy. Then again, uh, neither was Browning, and he led the Huskies to a Rose Bowl last year, so there is that. Talked about running back Salvan Ahmed. Explosive. That's the buzzword with that guy. And I'm a big fan of of defensive back Elijah Molden. Oregon fans, he's from Portland, right? Oregon fans were apoplectic beside themselves when Elijah Molden committed to Washington over Oregon. Oregon and Washington, by by the way, one of the more underrated rivalries, not just in the Pac-12, but also in the entirety of college football. That's pretty big. And it probably helped usher Mark Helfrich out the door when Molden went to Washington instead of Oregon. By the way, uh, you longtime Cardinal fans might remember Elijah Molden's dad, Alex, superb cornerback for the Ducks, who was no match for Stanford's Andre Kerwin in back-to-back years, by the way. Kicker Peyton Henry for the Huskies has not missed a kick this year. Nine for nine in field goals, 22 of 22 in extra points. So keep that in mind as well. Huskies are pretty good. They're solid, and they don't beat themselves. That goes a ways. That, that goes for a lot, that, that, and that counts for a lot. But, but, that's, but they also strike me as more beatable than Oregon was when the Ducks came here a couple weeks ago. Because they're not necessary, they don't necessarily bring that that flash factor to them. They seem a bit more a bit more human than than the Ducks seemed to be a couple weeks ago heading into that game at Stanford Stadium. They seem to be a bit more beatable. Now, are they beatable by Stanford? Well, they are if the Cardinal can do some of the following things. Stanford must win the field position battle. We saw how that really helped conspire against the Cardinal a couple of weeks ago against the Ducks. It's not something that's sexy. You know, it's not a big flashy key that everyone points to. Oh, pass rush, make catches, big plays all over the field. Well, yeah, that's all pretty cool. But field position is so important as well. We saw that go against Stanford a couple weeks ago. Washington's actually pretty good at this, especially in their punting game. Their net punting is second best in the Pac-12. So... That means Stanford must get first downs and stay on the field offensively and at least make drives and forays deep into Washington territory, at least cross midfield, at least be able to flip the field and not do the negative plays that have plagued uh, Stanford offensively at critical times. More on the Stanford offense later. Secondary for Stanford must play lights out. There is no question about this. We, we, We know well about some of the struggles some of the woes that the secondary has had throughout the year. I'll I'll never forget the quote that David Shaw used after the USC game when he used uh, the following phrase to describe Stanford defensively. Quote, we lost the structural integrity. That's no bueno. That's never good. 
Secondary must play lights out. They must make tackles when Jacob Eason gets the ball out quickly. And they must cover and confuse Eason on longer developing passes so, so Stanford's pass rush can get there. Stanford's offense must show commitment to diversification in play calling, something that we did not see throughout much of the second half for Stanford against Oregon State last week. I thought they kind of lost that a little bit in getting away from spreading the ball around to all the playmakers, running game, passing game as well. I thought they got away from that uh, for much of the second half last week. I loved Stanford's execution in the screen game. Screens are a good way to diversify your, your, your passing attack and your play calling. And I love what Stanford did with their spring with their screen game last week. That's the best screen game, as we talked about earlier this week, I've seen Stanford execute in years. David Shaw offered up his thoughts on the screen game and its importance in the overall scheme of things for Stanford offensively. I think we've been improving there um, really for the last couple of years. I thought Cam Scarlett's got a great feel for screens. Um, I think we made a concerted effort this offseason to spend more time on the receiver screens, that they weren't going to be huge parts of our game, but they're great accents. Um, they're great things to just have. Um, you've got a guy like Connor Weddington who's a background as a running back and we get the ball in his hands quickly. Um, uh, Michael Wilson, good run after catch guy as well. So mixing those things in as we've tried to do every game, uh, I think it's been a, a positive thing for us. Yeah, pretty important. And keep in mind, you heard David Shaw earlier, just a few minutes ago, talk about uh, talk about Washington's very active front that likes to get hits on the quarterback. Well, one way to slow those guys down is with screen passes. Is that something we could possibly see emphasized or at least accented a bit more this week against the Huskies? Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. But Stanford must show more diversification in its play calling this week. I thought, you know, someone on the message boards put it pretty well. Stanford just isn't good enough to telegraph its plays, right? They're just, they're just not good enough to telegraph their play calling. This isn't like, this isn't like 2011 when Stanford faced the Huskies. Remember that game? Stanford rolled up 446 yards on UW on the ground that night. I still can't believe that happened. But Stanford must be more diversified in its, in its play calling. And really, all phases must play and coach better for 60 full minutes. That's the only way Stanford can beat the Huskies. If everybody pulls together for an entire 60 minutes, Everyone pulled together last week for about, oh, 35, 40 minutes. And look where that almost got them. Can't do that against a team that is much better than Oregon State on paper and better than Stanford on paper. But is Washington beatable? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're beatable. And if Stanford can execute some of those things we just discussed, I think they can be beatable by the Cardinals. A win by Washington would not surprise me, but I, I, I think a Stanford win is, is more possible than, than you might think. Than you might think. Just saying. Speaking of just saying things, how about they said it? We do it every week here on the TreeCast. And let's hear from Stanford right tackle Foster Sorrell. He's a kid from Washington State. 
and uh, he, he's a he's a little bit excited. He'll, he'll probably be a bit more excited once the game actually begins about about uh, looking at dudes with the the purple W on their helmets um, <laughs> when the game actually goes. But obviously, the offensive line has been in flux from week to week. Numerous starting combinations. Sorrell, he's been in and out at times with injury himself. So I asked Foster what the dynamic has been like given the shift in personnel that happens from game to game and not looking at the exact same guys uh, in, the in the huddle across the offensive line, not looking at the exact same guys, not just from game to game, but sometimes from series to series. Here's Foster Sorrell, and they said it. I think we've done a really good job, and Coach Carbs done a good job, that we're kind of all in this together, that it's not like there's these set guys, and then like if it goes down, it's like chaos. Um, I think like if someone goes down, it's just kind of next man up. Like We have prepared really well. Uh, we get after in practice, and we feel really confident in anyone that steps in um, our line. Uh, that they can do the job, and that's been really apparent this season because, you know, because of injury, we've had guys just have to step in and play. Um, same for me. Henry had to go to right tackle, and and we just trust everyone that goes in there because you know we're really well prepared and we get after things. Yeah, Foster says it's it's not chaotic. It's not chaotic. Although I did note if I saw this correctly, and this was this was early in the game last week when uh, Pac-12 Network cameras were showing the Stanford huddle, and uh, Henry Haddis actually lined up in the right tackle spot in the huddle, and Foster Sorrell had to push him over uh, to the right guard spot. He's like, no, dude, you're playing guard. You're playing guard. Haddis has had to play tackle at points this year. So uh, seeing seeing that sequence kind of led me to ask that question. Uh, but overall, Foster says it hasn't been chaotic. They've been able to get it done and uh, to stay together throughout the course of the year. But I, I, still, I still have that visual of Henry Haddis uh, standing in the right tackle spot that Foster Sorrell having to kind of shove him over. Move, move. That, that, that's, that's my place. That's my place in the huddle. <laughs> Stanford versus Washington, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. Hey, my man Rod Gilmore is calling this game for ESPN. That's pretty cool. Always great to, to see the former Cardinal in the building. Always enjoy uh, hanging out with Rod Gilmore. Looking forward to spending some time with him at the farm. And on the farm uh, coming up on Saturday night. And looking forward to seeing how things shake out between Stanford and the Huskies. Um, posting schedule might get a bit wacky over the course of the next couple of weeks. I'll warn you right now about that. Um, we will likely come to you our next TreeCast in all likelihood on Monday. As I had a, a Pac-12 Network soccer doubleheader on Thursday. That kind of pushed back the posting schedule uh, of, of this tree cast. And, heck, I figured I might head down to the farm <laughs> on Thursday night. So I made it a triple header, called the two games up in Berkeley, and then checked out Stanford Women's Soccer against Washington State on Thursday night. That was a lot of fun. That's a really good team. But I've got a Pac-12 Network soccer doubleheader coming up on Sunday. So that means next tree cast will come your way likely on Monday. Then after that, we get into the bye week and then the midweek game after that. So... Uh, posting schedule for the TreeCast might get a little bit wacky over the next couple of weeks. The best way to make sure that you are on top of things and to make sure that you don't need to be, to be running back and constantly checking, although I appreciate when you do, to see when the new TreeCast is up, subscribe to the show and there'll be a hot and fresh TreeCast waiting for you whenever it's ready to go. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. 
or on Google Play or find the TreeCast just about anywhere you can get your favorite podcast from. Special thanks to our special guest this week, Thomas Booker. Enjoyed that chat. Really loved uh, catching up uh, with him. Can't wait to see what he can do uh, this week against the Huskies and for the remainder of what is trending to be a, a pretty neat little Cardinal career. And beyond. I mean, let's face it. You know, Stanford has more than a share of players who you can't wait to see what they do away from football as well. Thomas Booker appears to be one of them. But thanks to him for, for dropping by and, and spending some time with us. And thanks of all, as always, goes out to you the most for helping the TreeCast be what it has become. And that, of course, is the go-to podcast on Stanford football. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And uh, you've got thoughts, I welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast. We'll talk to you next Monday and break down what we see on Saturday evening between the Cardinal and the Huskies. Until then, don't drink and drive if you do your dumbest person. Just don't do it. Don't do it. It ain't worth it. We'll see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity.